0: Everybody loves McDonald's fries So yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home Um, but the bag did feel a little light Ba-da-ba-ba-ba
1: What's up family, your boy Dave with BWR here Wanted to let y'all know about what we have going on April 21st We're doing the Renaissance Mixer again. Yes, sir. We're bringing it back. Uh, Last year, we tried to do this and COVID shut us down, but we're bringing the party back. Having the Renaissance Mixer here in Dallas, we're partnering up with CK Creative Studio, a luxury black-owned co-working space out here in the design district to bring together entrepreneurs and professionals from all across the DFW, get us together in one room so we can start making these business connections and much more. We're going to have live music, drinks, food and much much more uh it's gonna be a great time tickets are only five dollars for the time being five dollars so y'all make sure to hurry up sign up uh we'll see y'all there wednesday april 21st at 7 p.m ck creative studios renaissance mix it's up baby
2: peace
3: been thinking about starting a podcast but you don't know exactly where to get started maybe you don't know exactly what equipment you should buy or who you should go through with the hosting platforms well good news i created a course just for you it'll be showing you how to make the fewest mistakes possible on your podcasting journey It's called the Podcaster's Playbook, and it's a total masterclass taught by me, showing you all the techniques and tricks that we use behind the scenes of the Black Wealth Renaissance podcast. Swipe up now, click the link in the show notes so you can purchase the Podcaster's Playbook.
1: What's up, y'all? It's your boy David with Black Wealth Renaissance. Anchor is everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So if you're looking to get started on your own podcast, download the free Anchor app or go to Anchor.fm. Do you know the rules of the game? Yeah. You know the rules of the game. I don't care what color. Can you make me 100
4: million? Let's talk money. money. Can you make me that? If you can't make me that, I going not
1: to
5: talk to you. You shouldn't even get this tape. I got money on my mind. I'm just trying to get some dough. I ain't picking up my lot unless it's money on the phone. Gotta get it on the daily, all I want is dubs, you know what I'm on I've been chasing after people, all I know is raw money marathon. Do five years of this and be a
6: millionaire and go on do what I wanna do, have kids, go live my trip in a game like out here in
3: Texas, or struggle for next thing. The choice is yours. What's up, guys? Welcome to the Black Wealth Renaissance Podcast. Our goal of this podcast is to normalize black wealth and share helpful resources and tips we believe will be useful in attaining and maintaining generational wealth. Please feel free to rate and comment on our podcast. We would love to hear all feedback you have. Now, enjoy the show.
1: Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Black Wealth Renaissance Podcast. Your boy, David Bellard, checking in with my co-host, Jalen and How y'all feeling?
3: what's good what's good what's good it's your boy jayla man another quarter of the black earth renaissance back at it again with another special episode man man Man, we got our special brother on here we'll talk about it this man is one of the reasons why this book is even a physical copy man (laughs) like hey hey, man this Uh, brother right here he on to some shit real talk jared how you living bro man good good
4: man i'm excited for this episode it's your boy jared another fourth of the black earth renaissance like they said earlier bro i'm real real excited for this episode we met this man in sacramento in person um whenever we went to the yes honey collective conference and from there he just like he busts our head like it was a lot of different information he was telling us and we was just like wait what huh run, run that back one more time so like we we just gotta get y'all exposed to this man and some of the information that he has to offer y'all go ahead and roll it in hey for sure and before i introduce my brother if you are listening to this, I ask that you like, subscribe, rate,
1: comment, review, all that good stuff. It helps. But yeah, like my brother Jared was just saying, this is a very unique brother, man. He He's had a very unique path and has a very different outlook on things. He always makes us think he's pushing the conversation forward in a different way. So he's the owner of Escape, which is a publishing technology and e-commerce company. And I'm not even going to get into my brother's different background, bitch. we have to go into that. But my brother, Adrian Kennedy, Adrian, how you living?
6: I'm living good, man. It's good to be here today talking to you guys. Hey, thank you so much. Appreciate
3: you for taking some time out your busy schedule, my brother.
1: Yes, Oh, yeah. No
6: worries at all. Good to talk to you.
1: For sure. So, Adrian, man, we're going to get this thing started, how we start every podcast. My brother, we just want to ask you, like, what was your start? Like, how did you begin your journey into entrepreneurship?
6: I mean, my journey started a real long time ago. And so when I was in middle school, you know, I want extra snack money because I was a Husky kid. And so I would go and take the pack of paper and break that down, selling five, 10, 15 sheets at a time, selling packs of pencils, you know, selling snacks that I bought, you know, whatever extra I had left over. And I would have a school store running out of my locker because we didn't have a real school store at the time. You know, people always wanted snacks and paper and needed all of these things. And so just, you know, just as a kid, just hustling. I mean, I just kept it going pretty much all my life. And so, I mean, I started my first LLC at 18 and, you know, just kept it going from there. Mm-hmm. That's what's up. Yeah. I like that, you know, that
3: original origin just of like the entrepreneurship, you know, like just selling out your candy at school and stuff like that. And uh, just to go back a little bit further, you're from North Carolina, right, my brother? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm from North Carolina. So born in the South, everything like that. Like, what were some of your examples growing up whenever, like, what had you thinking like that? Mm
6: -hmm. I mean, that's a good question. And so my grandfather was an electrician. And so during the summer, I would go and spend, you know, pretty much every summer with him from the time I was about seven up until I would say about, you know, 16, 17. And crawling under houses, crawling in the attics wiring houses, you know, doing all of that. And so, I mean, I always had, you know, that entrepreneur drive mm-hmm. as far as, you know, seeing those examples of him running his own business. And I figured, hey, I always just wanted to, you know, have that control over, you know, my income and my career path. And so I've always, you know, pretty much had something that I was doing on the side that I own myself. Even when I was in school, you know, I was cutting hair. I was selling burgers out of the dorm. You know, I mean, just always doing something. I mean, I was doing like multi-level marketing, did that wholesaling while I was in school. And, you know, just a lot of different things, just always had that entrepreneurial spirit. So hey, that's dope.
1: So you said you had got your first LLC when you were 18. I mean, you know, you wanted to do business. So yeah. it initially started out as a side hustle for you. Like you were just like working into
6: school and going that route, but you just wanted a side hustle? Well, I mean, I always wanted to have my always believe in having two sources of income because nobody can pay you like you can pay yourself. And so while you can have a business, it's great to have a job. I mean, but you can also have a business on the side. And a lot of times those businesses just grow to the point where they become their own entity and just, you know, take on a life of their own. And so I just always just like that aspect of being able to say, Hey, if I have an idea put a little work behind it and be able to just make money whenever I want to make money. So.
3: I like that. And did you go to school for business? Is that what you were going to school to study?
6: (laughs) I didn't even go to school for business. Like, it's funny. I went to school for computer science because they said that's where the money was. So I studied computer science and math and just still always just had a business. Just let me work an internship every summer that I was in school, you know, paid internship. Of course, we don't Mm -hmm. do things for free. So. Yeah, just always just like business. But then there's a lot of things that I wouldn't learn in school from business. You know, I took an entrepreneur class and what I was learning on the ground, you know, 18, you could join, you know, multi-level marketing companies. And at the time, I think the first one I joined was a travel biz, like your travel biz and selling, uh, you get your travel license and you can sell cruises to people like, you know, little travel niche websites. Uh, that and uh, wholesaling real estate, and so doing that, assigning contracts to investors, and those two things is why I started the LLC, because they were like, "Oh, you don't want to pay any taxes." I was like, "No, I don't really want to pay no taxes, so I can minimize my taxes that way." So yeah, I mean, I don't even know how I even learned this stuff. I guess it was like Yahoo at the time, and you know, Facebook was still dfacebook.com. I mean, it was real early in the internet game, but you know, just asking questions, looking, digging, and just doing the stuff. Like, I mean, that was all there was to it.
3: And, you know, you said you took that entrepreneurship class. What was that like? Because I know it was totally different from what you was actually experiencing. Oh, man. Did you have a (laughs) lot of, like, back and forth with the
6: teacher? Man. uh...
5: When something
3: happens to your kitchen,
5: you might say.
2: This is ludicrous.
5: But that won't fix your home. That will only get you the rapper, Ludacris. Having trouble? Don't panic. Don't be alarmed. You need to file a claim? Holla at State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. You can file a claim on the app or call us.
6: Thanks, Mr. Chris.
5: No matter how ludicrous the situation, like a good neighbor, State
6: Farm is there.
5: State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois.
6: I did have some back and forth with the teacher, mostly because what I was seeing and learning in the book didn't really give me any answers and guidance as far as what I was doing in the real world. Mm. And I mean, books are great, but that action, when you're on the ground, you know, nobody's going to really tell you, okay, how can I find some leads, (laughs) you know, 18 for my multi-level marketing business? Like you learn the sales skills or like, how can I find, you know, advertise for getting, you know, houses under contract from, in, you know, people that want to sell for, you know, distressed houses and things like that, right? It doesn't address those specific scenarios. They're not telling you in an entrepreneur class how to set up an LLC, you know, it's telling you like, okay, well, these are the different types of businesses. You need to think about your exit strategy, mm-hmm. you know, it didn't even really get into like marketing. It's so, each textbook is so divided as far as the topic that it covers. Mm. I mean, a book on marketing, a textbook anyway, probably may not even talk that much about deciding what type of business you even want to start. So, I mean, it's all so, and then accountants is a whole nother topic altogether. Mm -hmm. So everything is so separate Mm -hmm. and people do spend years reading different textbooks on topics, Mm -hmm. but then they don't know really how to start and run a business. Mm -hmm. So, but I mean, on the ground, I'm I mean, I accelerated that a lot faster because, you know, I was managing people and had different workers at different universities working for me for different businesses. And, you know, nobody's telling me how to do that, you know, Mm. not in a textbook or a classroom. A
3: firsthand experience. And I love that because I went to school for business and I learned, like you said, like I took the marketing classes, the finance classes, the accounting classes but they didn't show you how to make all of that mesh together, together to create that business. Whenever you were taking that one class, it was showing you how to be an employee under that certain role. Like I remember right. taking the HR class or taking an international business class and it was like, Oh, you got to work for a company and you got to close this type of deal or whatever. But it didn't show you like, if you were the business owner,
6: how are you making this actually work out?
3: Yeah. So I'm glad you touched on that. Yeah.
6: So, I mean, not. I, You don't really realize that until you, you know, some time down the road of like, you know, building something and, you know, running and managing it for a while, or how those different pieces shouldn't even really be different textbooks, unless you want to go that deep into a subject. But I think one of the biggest problems with a lot of education is that it's so Mm single-minded and, you know, in today's interconnected world, so many things are related, Mm -hmm. so
3: and that's a good point that yeah, you go into in a connected world. It because it goes into who not how though. Like a book that I recently read is called Who Not How and they talk about like the education system and how they want you to be so self-reliant, but whenever you get out in the real world that's not how it is. Like everything is interconnected yeah. even on a global scale. We're interconnected to all of these other countries. Like we have to rely on them for certain things and they have to rely on us for certain things. And we kind of get that sense of competitiveness versus collaborativeness to where we work together to obtain greater goals. With
1: mentioning the global perspective of things, I kind of want to move with your journey a little further too, Adrian. So like, I know that your career path was very different. Like you started off with the patent office. how did you yeah. end up overseas and start working in these different
6: areas like that? I've always been very curious, right? And so I got into the patent office from doing some contracting for a national lab in artificial intelligence while I was still in school. And from there, I went to the patent office and still worked in artificial intelligence. And while I was at the patent office and still sticking with my main theme of always wanting to have something that I owned myself, I started in being a loan officer And that was in 05 and 06. And I got out of that just in the nick of time because, I, you know, there's a lot of signs and writing on the wall that, you know, people being pretty reckless with uh, mortgages because one of the biggest lenders at the time that I was working with were countrywide and Washington Mutual. And we know those two don't even exist today Mm. uh, with the pick and pay mortgages. And so I got out of that because I didn't want to end up in jail or, you know, part of some grand jury. And from there, I got into Forex. And so I met some guy and he was talking about Forex. I was like, Forex, what is that? Not heard of stocks before. So I got into Forex and did pretty well with it and eventually started my own asset management firm and did that from 06 to 2012 and the patent office at the same time. And was just, you know, I was spent. And so I ended up saying, hey, I'm going to take some time off, go overseas for a little bit. And, you know, see how that is. I'd already been to like Vietnam and Cambodia previously. And I was like, well, let me go back over there and see how things are. And, you know, what was going to be just a two, three month trip turned into a couple of years of me just traveling and seeing what the scene was on the ground Mm. in uh, Southeast Asia, Asia, Australia. And then, yeah, just did that and, you know, really got to see. What China's influence was on the Western world in Australia, New Zealand and other places. And, you know, how they impact in economies, housing markets, et cetera. And yeah, I mean, that's what pushed me overseas and, you know, just kept traveling since then. So
3: can you speak to some of that, those things that you learned,
6: like the impact and like just the influence? Well, I think the influence is a lot more than people no it is coming from the us because you don't really see it i mean you see most americans get their news from television right mm-hmm. and so by default i feel like a lot of americans are almost afraid to go at, you know overseas or they think hey i'm in the best country in the world so then why would i go anywhere else mm-hmm. and it's a lot of it is media programming because once you start getting on the ground in these other countries and setting up businesses there working there with different people and industries, you realize that there is a lot of opportunity and things are a lot different overseas. Like, I mean, starting a business in some countries is way easier than in the U S mm. like their taxes and stuff may be different, but it's a lot better for a lot of different reasons. And it's better in a way that helps people on the lower end, for example, in like Vietnam, they don't have, they're not, you know, to get a, a food cart, for example, or to sell trinkets to tourists and stuff. they are not hassling the locals for where's your permit to do this. And, Mm -hmm. you know, you got to shut down by this time. I mean, pretty much everything is at your own risk. You know, you start a business, it succeeds or fails, you know, that's just on you. And so even with how things are even policed there, like the police are even different, like, Of course, you don't want to be doing any crimes, but the way that they treat the people is more like it's less adversarial, I'd say.
2: Mm. And
6: while overseas, I ain't experienced like any racism. I mean, if anything, I'd say they treated me like a king because it's so rare for people to see Americans, number one, but then black Americans. Mm. um, So, and I mean, I met some amazing people that I'm still in touch with them today. And every now and then they may come to the States and we may catch up or I may go to see them. So it was great. I mean, there was more than a few times where people would want to take a picture with, you know, me and their kids because, you know, they'd never seen a black person before, you know, invite me. To, I got invited to weddings. Like, it was awesome. So, yeah. They wanted to take a because
1: they had never seen a <laughs> Listen, black person before? I'm
6: trying to tell you, like, I would go places and, like, there'd be, like, crowds, like, following me. They'd be wanting to pay for my meals to learn, like, hey, can you teach my kid English? Like, I tutor uh. people in English. I don't know. No, I'm not. I speak English, but I mean, it's far enough to like teach people. But I mean, people, they like, yeah, you know, just t- talk to my kid in English for a while so they can get better at English. And, you know, little things like that, going to weddings and like being a part of like wedding parties and stuff like it was I, I had a great time. So mm.
3: and that sounds like you really I, got yeah. to indulge in a culture also, though, like, oh, man, when really I travel,
6: good. I don't stay in like, you know, tourist areas. I purposely don't. I try to avoid tourist areas and then like for example like I stayed in Australia for over a year I was in Hanoi Vietnam for about three four months been to Bali a few times so I mean when I go places like I'm like I'm like there like you know walking down the street like I pick up the language uh, I mean I still speak some Vietnamese not very much but like you know I can still say hello when I can go to like you know the Asian market to pick up some coffee or something like that and yeah but that's Once you're in the ground, like that's real, like immersion therapy. You know, you really <laughs> pick up the culture. So, you get a real perspective of what oh, it's yeah. actually like to be from there. Yeah. When I mean, you see how people live, I mean, it's not really that different. Like, it, my line brother,
3: he's doing a mission trip and he went to Cambodia for a little while. He's currently like in the Caribbean, but he was telling me, like, like you said, just picking up on the language. He was like, bro. Forget learning like from an app or something. He's like, man, this is survival. He's like, either you're going to figure out how to get around (laughs) or you're just going to be lost.
6: Yeah. I mean, it's really like that, you know, especially in scenarios like, you know, where's the bathroom at? You know, I want some water like or what is this food that I'm eating? You know, those are basic things. And like, you need to know how to say that. Thank you. Like, can I get some help? Like, where is this? How to read a map in another language? Like that's a whole other scenario. So,
3: I didn't even think about that. Yeah, Damn.
6: that's true too. And so, I mean, because I ride motorcycles, and so whenever I travel, I usually rent a motorcycle. And so, you know, you're on a map in the middle of nowhere, and <laughs> you got to figure that out quick. <laughs> so, yeah, can't even read the road signs if you can't understand the language. Oh, dude, I'm telling <laughs> you, like when you under that pressure, though. You got to figure that out and be like, where is this symbol at? Okay, I've been on this for about, you know, this amount of time. So you need to know how to get back home. I mean, you don't want to be going too far off of the off the uh, the uh main roads. But at the same time, you know, knowing how to read, just basic how to read a map, how to recognize different symbols in different languages. I mean, you pick up on those things, you know, direction that you're going in, being able to tell, like, you know, what's north, south, east, and west not really based on a compass, but just like where the sun's at, whether it's such a back or things like that. You know, you pick up on these things because it's a lot of things that you think you may have forgotten come back to you very quick when you're, you're pretty much in, in a survival situation. I mean, it's not stressful or anything, but you know, your brain starts putting pieces together.
1: Yeah. Cause you, should, you don't want to be lost in a foreign country. You don't speak the language and all that stuff the best.
3: Yeah. I think that's powerful too, though, like to just thinking about how Americanized we are and, How sometimes, you know, we feel like, oh, I don't need to learn that language like they Mm. in America. Like, but you don't put yourself in that situation where you're in a whole foreign situation and you don't know anything. A lot of people, oh, don't speak Spanish, like speak American to me. No, you need to put yourself in the position of someone who doesn't understand, you know, this is life or death for me. Like, I need to know how to go to the restroom or something. So I think that's very interesting that you got to experience Mm. that life from that point of view. And I kind of wanted to ask you, Adrian, like with that, how did that
1: help you in business? Because I know you said like whenever you went travel, it was to kind of decompress from
6: business. So how did that help out? I mean, I feel like I connected with people on a deeper level because it wasn't necessarily based on just my American perspective. It was based on having lived in these different places and seeing how Different economies, like, you know, uh, wealthiest, all the way down to like dealing with trash, like people that literally pick through trash for a living and interacting with these people and seeing how the different pieces connect together. I mean, it's definitely given me a much greater appreciation for small business, like not just in the US, but around the globe, because it's not just in the US where, you know, small business is the main driver of the economy, but around the world. Because if you think about a lot of places, there is no job that you go to after school. You just do whatever your family has done for probably generations. Mm. Like, and that is their business. But we don't even think about it like that because in the U.S., we're so used to, oh, well, you know, you leave home and go to a job and work for someone else. But in the other places, whatever their family does, that's just it. You just That's just going to be your destiny um, unless you choose to do something else, if you have that option. So, I mean, it definitely gave me a lot more appreciation for business and just people in general, because knowing that people come from different backgrounds that are so much more diverse than just the, the range that we have here. So, I mean, and, I, and what we think is like poor and you know, not having resources is basically spoiled and obese compared to the rest of the world. So... And you see it in, like, the little things that most people ignore on a daily basis. And, like, the average height of people is different just due to nutritional levels and genetics, you know?
2: Mm-hmm.
6: I want to ask kind of something you
4: referenced earlier. You said something about it being easier to start a business in some
6: places. I want to ask, like, did you start some businesses, like some foreign entity businesses? And so I do own businesses outside the U.S. And so... I can't really say too much about that because the way that I structured my business is is to kind of minimize my tax exposure, mm-hmm. and so I understand. Uh, <laughs> we, we ain't
3: got to go too deep <laughs> into <laughs> <laughs> we, we ain't them
6: folks. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll just leave it at that. I will say that if you want to minimize your tax exposure there are some very favorable countries to do that in. So mm. as a hedge to, you know, what it, also as a hedge personally for whatever you have here in the U.S. And it's not very expensive Don't I mean, a lot of people think like, you know, this can maybe be expensive, but if you, especially if you have businesses that generate income overseas, there's no reason to bring those profits back on shore and, you know, pay the U.S. government mm. for something that they had no influence in. In the first mm. place. So
3: mm. see, I never even thought about it like that, my I,
6: that I just it. It.
1: so with the foreign entities, is it possible for like you to still transact in the United States with those?
6: Yeah.
1: Money is money. Like, is there when you have a foreign business, like there's certain like regulations or anything that you gotta jump through or anything like that to take I me mean, business here?
6: No, not really. I mean, think about it this way, right? So Facebook is headquartered in the U.S. Mm
2: -hmm.
6: However, a lot of their operations internationally are based in Ireland. And the reason why they're based in Ireland is because Ireland is a lower tax um, locale than the U.S. And so any profits that they make overseas, instead of repatriating them back to the U.S. and having to pay income taxes on those profits, they can keep them outside the U.S., And then they don't have to pay U.S. taxes for those profits that they earned overseas. Mm. And so what then they can do is say overseas they made more money than they made in the U.S. The overseas entity can give the U.S. entity a loan between the two. And it's not considered income that's taxable between the two. So, I mean, there's a lot of different things that you can do legally that are like that if you have businesses overseas. Mm-hmm. And so, for example, I have inventory in about 13 different countries and I sell books in 40 different countries. And so I don't want to pay more than I have to pay mm-hmm. in taxes in the U.S. if I don't have to. And then, too, there are other benefits to having uh, entities overseas because U.S. has very, in certain areas, they have very high bars as far as taxes and you know, mm-hmm. liabilities and things like that. And some countries and businesses won't even do business with you if you're a U.S.-based person or a U.S.-based entity. And so having an overseas branch opens up an entire world of opportunities that neither U.S. companies or U.S. citizens have access to as far as investments in, in uh, marketplaces, companies that will do business with you, et cetera. Man.
1: Man, hey, you just bust my head with that one. I never would have not known that's like how it's
6: moving on that level. But
3: man, once again, international yeah. business don't teach you this shit.
6: Yeah. I mean, one good example is, you know, I imagine you guys have heard of AliExpress, correct? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so you can't sell on AliExpress unless you have a business in uh, mainland China, Italy, Spain, Russia or Turkey. That's five countries in the entire world that you have to be in before you can sell. On that marketplace. Wow! And see, most people don't know that. And so they're talking about a platform that makes billions of dollars that Americans or American companies cannot sell on unless they have an overseas entity, and they can buy from them. Oh, they'll take your money quick. (laughs) And see, I mean, and little things like that is what people don't really realize because there's that's that American brain. When you see that globally, you realize that oh, wow. The American pot is massive, but the global pot, mm, mm. and that's how you make money around the clock. Mm. So I want to go further
1: with it, man. So like, when did the software development piece come in for you? Because I know I, mean, you I, for I computer studied computer science.
6: Yeah. And so when I started my trading company, the reason why I started it is because I realized that I can automate a lot of my trading. Mm-hmm. And so I built an algorithm that traded Forex markets for me 24-7. And so did that, co-located my servers in the same data warehouse as my broker. So then the lag between the distance between the transactions uh, wasn't very uh, far. And yeah, did that, brought on a few clients. And I still talk to my clients now. I mean, we became great friends over time. One of them ended up buying a boat with the money that I made him. So I, I think we'll be lifelong friends. He you sure? got to name yeah.
1: that one the Kennedy or
6: something,
2: bro. I ain't going to
6: lie. <laughs> yeah, he's like, thank you. I mean, it's good. I mean, I enjoy trading Forex. Because, so, I mean, you got to keep in mind is that I was trading Forex in the middle of 2008 and stuff. And 2008 oh. was my best year. Oh, the dollar. I was trading, you know, currencies and gold and silver. And metals were moving, and currencies were moving. If it's moving, I'm gonna catch catch some of it. So I don't care about the direction. Like I'm, it doesn't matter.
1: Mm -hmm. So yeah, with the forex, I kind of yeah, just about to ask because you made an algorithm with it. So like when making an algorithm for something like this, I mean, obviously it's a lot of complex math that goes into this. Oh, it's
6: not all complicated. Not all complicated.
1: Hey. Educate me, my brother, because I want to know like was I mean, it like a set of rules?
6: I'm always a trend follower. I'm just a trend follower. Like I mean I don't care about really any of the Hey there.
0: Ever thought about what makes your heart beat a little faster?
5: Oh, you mean like when you discover a new track that just speaks to you? Yeah. Or finding a
0: movie that you can't stop thinking about? Well, get ready to feel that excitement all over again because Amazon Prime is here to take your entertainment and shopping experience to the next level.
5: It's like having a personalized superstore and entertainment hub right at your fingertips.
0: So why wait? Head over to Amazon.com forward slash prime and start experiencing entertainment
6: like never before. You know, I don't get too into details because, I mean, you know, study long, study wrong. I'm a trend follower. I look for imbalances and moves in the market. I look for what the big players are doing. You know, I just really just follow the money. And... That's pretty much the same philosophy that I use in business. I just follow where trends are going. I try to get there before anybody else sees that the money is going there. Mm -hmm. So then by the time everybody else gets there, the money is already flowing towards me. I mean, that's the difference between chasing money and positioning yourself for money to chase you. So that's my my mindset. I mean, I kind of drove my decision to do like the publishing and e-commerce, technology. It's really all just positioning
3: and for anyone who would like to you know say okay i just heard him say you know i want to position myself how do they educate themselves like how do they find out oh this is where the big money is playing this is where the big players are actually going towards
6: i mean i always start with questions right and so we can go through this and it's not going to take long and so i asked myself okay it's 2021 what are people right now what are they spending on money on right now like they're in the house They want to go out, you know, what are they spending money on while they're in the house? More likely than not. It's wintertime, it's cold outside. Okay, what are people spending money on? The season's about to change to spring. What are they going to be spending money on then? And then summer, same thing. Okay, now the largest population in the U.S. is the baby boomers. Okay, what are they spending money on? They're going to be spending money on in the future. And then, okay, they're aging. They may be needing services or products because they're aging and they may have kids. What are they going to be spending money on? So, I mean, I keep asking questions and stuff like that and just taking notes. And then you can just ask basic questions like that going, you know, out decades. And then you'll be able to position yourself for decades to have either uh, major businesses that are positioned to take advantage of these massive swings and trends, or ownership, small ownership in a lot of businesses that may take it, uh, you know, participate in these trends. You don't have to own everything and do everything yourself. I mean, you could, you know, whether it's stocks or your skill set where you may be able to provide, you know, information and services to people. You know, networking with people as far as with education and informing people. I mean, there's a lot of different ways that you can do this without even having a business in it. You can still take advantage of these trends with, you know, small dollar amounts that, you know, over time add up Mm. to a lot.
3: Hey, man, I appreciate you for breaking that down, my brother. And I kind of want to peel back the layers a little bit deeper. Something that stood out to me earlier. You said you started a asset management firm. Mm-hmm. Can you break down what that is and what it took you to start that?
6: And so I'll go back even further. The reason why I started is because I wanted a job on Wall Street and, you know, computer science and math. People didn't really see the bridge between those two at the time. And to get into that area, you know, you got to know somebody or something like that. And I was mm-hmm. like, you know what? I'm not asking for anybody's permission. And so I went and I just researched to find out what does it take for me to start a firm myself, get that firm registered with the appropriate regulatory bodies, and start legally taking money from clients and manage that on their behalf for you know a percentage of profits. And so I registered with the National Futures Association, uh, got some exemptions from the state because of the size of the firm, and started taking on clients. And 20% of profit is what I was taking. I wasn't charging any type of management fee. So all of my earnings was based on performance. So then that aligned me and my clients' goals together. So, I mean, you know, they're just like, hey, I don't know nothing about Forex. You know something about it. You sound like you're doing good. So they gave me checks and did that for a while and enjoyed it. And really with any type of finance, asset management, et cetera, I mean, it's much harder now, I'd say, but not too hard, mostly because of like uh, AML, anti-money laundering, Mm -hmm. and uh, know your customer rules. But all of those requirements are pretty much standardized, and you can outsource them now to different companies that will do those processes for you. Enough for you to, you know, cover yourself if there are any risk or questions or things like that, whether you're dealing with individuals or companies. So I mean, you can still do it today. It's definitely possible to manage money for people, whether you're investing in normal stock markets or forex markets, or you have some type of alternative investment that you want to manage money in. It just takes some people providing you with money, and you you know generating some type of statements and things like that. Mm-hmm. So,
1: yeah. So you said you had to go to the futures board. So. You didn't have to register with the SEC and go through like FINRA for any of that stuff too?
6: Commodities are different. And mm-hmm. so the commodities and forex are handled by the National Futures Association. Mm. And so and they handle the regulation for the forex. And so the, the way that the relationship between the National Futures Association and the SEC works is that the SEC, while they are, you know, the Securities Exchange Commission, forex is not actually considered a security, security. And so it's considered a commodity. So cash is considered a commodity as long with like lumber, metals, spot metals and things like that. And so that made the bar a lot lower as far as not having to go through FINRA, not having to be licensed, et cetera. And the reason for that is because with commodities, you got to remember that who else can trade commodities? Farmers, people mm-hmm. that grow lumber, people that, you know, have hogs and chickens And these people aren't going, they're not going to require these people to go and get a freaking broker's license to have to Uh be able to sell their assets on the open market. And that's the reason why I didn't have to go through all those steps.
1: Hmm. That's
3: interesting. Yeah, I never knew that.
1: It made me even think more because technically if they had to go to the SEC with farmers, that would be considered like insider trading if they knew like it's a drought in the industry, wouldn't it?
6: Well, I mean, the thing is, is that, and that's why it's not a security Because everything in, you know, Forex markets and commodities markets is pretty much insider trading because it's based on producers and buyers and people that are going to be actually using the commodities. And so it's all based on, okay, crop reports come out from the USDA and people actually produce those crop reports. So people know how much their crop is producing. So the commodities market is a lot different from the stock market when it comes to like quote unquote insider trading. Because anybody can go to the National Oceanic Association and and see that it hasn't been raining in a certain place, or that there was a massive freeze, and it's going to affect the orange crop in Florida. I mean, so it's only so much
2: mm-hmm.
6: insider information that there can even be uh, because you're dealing anymore. with uh, physical goods. And I mean, when you're talking about currency markets, you're talking about the entire currency of an entire nation. So I mean. I don't even know what insider trading of that would look like. Yeah. So, and that's why it's, it's a lot easier as far as starting asset management firms or commodity pools in Forex and spot commodities markets. So dope. And for some
3: people, cause we we're understanding of what commodities is, but for those people who don't know, you know, exactly what it is, you kind of talked about it, you know, is the trading of crop, but you can trade oils and precious metals, and all no. of those things, how would you get into actually trading on that? Do I go through Robin Hood? Do I go on the brokerage?
6: So trading commodities, first of all, there's two different markets where you can really trade. Well, I'm going to say it's three. So there's the spot commodities market where that's the day-to-day 24-7 price that if you had to go out and get it at a, any given moment on the ground, this is about what it's trading at based on, you know, whatever entity is setting a price. For example, if you go to a bullion dealer to buy some gold or silver bars for that certain purity level, they're going to have a bid in the ads price for that specific bar, a price that they're buying at and price that they're selling at. But then there's going to be a spot price, which that price is based on. And so and that's going to be. A continuous number that's generated 24 seven. And really that's just to let them know if they need to replace that item or if they want to hedge their sale, this is what they can buy it at on the open market. And so dealers will price their buys and their sales of their physical assets above or below that spot price to cover their risk and their cost. And then a lot of assets, you know, move in a similar type of direction, whether it's like lumber or hogs, et cetera. Because for example, with with gold and silver, the exchanges may not be open on the weekend, but you know, they close and on Fridays, but then there's a spot price on Friday that you can reference until the market reopens again on Sundays. And then that's the spot market. And then after that, there's the I'd say the futures market, kind of, sort of. And that market is where people are taking physical delivery of the goods and these trade by contract months. I think out to like 24 months, you can get uh, contracts on certain assets. It may be longer. I haven't traded futures in a while. And there's also options on futures, like there's options on stocks where you can kind of like hedge your trade and stuff like that. And then other than that, there is the the actual on the ground price. Those prices don't really trade in any given places, but it's just, if you have to go and buy it any given day, that's just what the price is going to be. So, you know, per bushel, because I mean, different areas based on their economy may have a different price. So, I mean, commodities have a lot of different prices that you Mm -hmm. may see and pay depending on how you're trying to purchase it. And then they try to standardize the commodities by having different types of contracts to represent that commodity. For example, with oil, they have like heavy crude, then they have light sweet crude, which is a lot easier to convert into like gasoline and other petroleum distillates. So it really just depends on really what you're trying to trade. Then there's different types of hauls. There's different types of steer. And then the thing is, when you're trading those contracts and you want to take delivery, for example, all contracts are settled in like Cushing. A lot, of the, a lot of the stuff is settled near Chicago. But a lot of, a lot of stuff you don't ever plan on taking delivery of because mm-hmm. you got to have somewhere to store it and all that That's stuff. That's what I was but doing. Like, I ain't never would have thought that. Because and
3: another reason that made me think about it, I remember like last year, If something happened with the oil contracts,
6: they (laughs) expired and people was like, oh man. I I knew this was going to come up. Yeah. The oil industry, I mean, oil trading is very interesting because people thought that the lowest that the oil price in certain uh, ETFs could go was zero. But because of the price to carry an asset and the storage price, things can go negative where you actually Mm -hmm. have to, you know, you end up, they will give you money to take it because they're losing money. They're losing money to store it.
2: Because,
6: I mean, you're talking about, you know, I think the smallest uh, oil contract is like a thousand barrels or something like that. Sheesh. And then the store it, I mean, first of all, this is very cancerous and explosive stuff. So, I mean, people were talking about like taking delivery. I'm like, look, first of all, you're going to have some feds knocking on your door if you don't have the right kind of storage facility for it. So, <laughs> and you don't want to be around this stuff at all. Like, no. Nah man but that's crazy. crazy man that's a so, commodities market
1: so just with delivery i had one more question with it so with people that if they did delivery on say like a corn future so they get a contract for like 24 months basically saying 24 months out i'm gonna get all this corn and i'm gonna give you this money right for that we can't we agree to at this time
6: well the futures contracts trade just like stocks okay and so They trade electronically, you know, a Globex Exchange usually or the CBOE, and they move just like stocks and options. So, I mean, their market is 24-7 as well, just like with spot commodities. And so the Forex and commodities markets open usually Sunday night and then at about 6 p.m. And then they close Friday at 4. So, and they just trade 24-7 just like that. Because you got to remember, too, that a lot of these commodities markets aren't just the U.S. They're global. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, other exchanges around the world are still trading those same contracts because, you know, if Canada wants to buy some of our sweet, a light sweet crude oil, they can't. And so they still have to be able to get a price as well during their hours or, you know, say China wants to buy some of our corn or something like that. They can still do this stuff. So it's part of the reason why the contracts do go out so far, because they don't know what the demand is going to be. So they have to kind of account for that ahead of time.
3: Mm. I like that. That's interesting. Appreciate you for breaking that down, because I've never really like just went deep deep, into the commodities or futures.
6: Oh, man, I can talk about finance. I mean, the only thing that I know more about than business is finance. So that's like I mean, that's still like my first love i can't talk about it right now for reasons but finances i mean i still follow it but i I mean e-commerce and businesses and stuff is like i'm good at that but i still follow finance just because it was just like my first my first passion so
3: have you been thinking about starting a podcast but you don't know exactly where to get started Maybe you don't know exactly what equipment you should buy or who you should go through with the hosting platforms. Well, good news. I created a course just for you. It'll be showing you how to make the fewest mistakes possible on your podcasting journey. It's called The Podcaster's Playbook, and it's a total masterclass taught by me, showing you all the techniques and tricks that we use behind the scenes of the Black Wealth Renaissance podcast. Swipe up now. Click the link in the show notes so you can purchase the podcaster's playbook. Mm. You mentioned in business, I want to move into The e-commerce escape. thing. Yeah.
6: yeah.
1: I want to move into Escape and kind of see like, so what was the beginning of Escape? And like, what was it originally? Like, did you have this three-headed, like, the no. vision for it? Or how did nah. it
6: start off? It all started by accident. It started from a failed Kickstarter campaign. That's where Escape came from. Mm. But so the, the, the name originally came, well, I've always had the name Escape. When I first started the company, it was a Kickstarter campaign selling fidget spinners. And so I had a product idea for fidget spinners, which just failed terribly. And I was like, well, this is not going to work. So I was like, let me really work on improving my business skills to make sure this never happens again. And I'd already been selling like on eBay and Amazon. So I just figured, you know, this was going to be easy creating my own product and selling on Kickstarter. I see these Kickstarter campaigns going well, but it's not as easy as it looks. (laughs) So that failed. And I was like, well, let me keep going at this e-commerce thing and uh, business thing. So just really just kept just going at it and building more and more relationships and skills in business and e-commerce and, you know, it is where it is now, you know, my first book in May of what, 2019 and second in June by what, November of that year, I had my first author after starting the publishing company. So, I mean, really just, I'm a firm believer in just executing fast because you're not going to learn anything by a bunch of research, you know, nothing is going to be a better teacher than just doing it. So and now, I mean, you guys are uh, authors and been doing pretty well out there, I must say. <laughs> and so that's been great. And I mean, I definitely love publishing. It's interesting to help people make their books a, a reality and bringing in those physical books, helping people understand like uh, the different marketplaces and places that you can sell books and, you know, seeing sales come in from places where I'm just like, I don't even know how to even found a book. So e-commerce is definitely my joy right now. So,
4: hey. I did want to like just give like a slight, something we kind of referenced to earlier, you kind of touched on in as far as like the publishing. I kind of wanted to tell people about like how that happened. So Adrian introduced himself in the most unique form that I have ever seen thus far. And he taught me a lesson that day. He said, I don't give out business cards. I don't give out, out books. books. And I was like, what? <laughs> and he gave me his book. I still have it and i was just like wait a minute hold on like this is different you know and then we would like from that we led to the conversation of okay well i do publishing we were like oh well we have a book it's just an ebook right now we're trying to actually get it in you know hard copy format and he was like yeah i do that i can handle that and that's how this whole thing got started but it's crazy just like how that happened and like the different lessons learned in that because I ain't gonna lie. That was the beginning of Adrian busting our head. He, he came with that book for the business card, and I was just like, "Man, that
2: you gotta work right. with this guy." <laughs> Hell
3: yeah, he bust my head. Whatever he said that too. I give out books, not business cards. And speaking about the book, I want to talk about one of your books. Really, both of them, if you'd like to. Profiting sure. off of possibilities, though, man. That
6: book there, man. Like, can we talk about what made you think about writing that book? And so. One of my biggest problems is that I want to share a lot of information with people, but sharing it with them one-on-one, it doesn't scale well because it takes so much time. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of my information, I just found it easier to put it in a book, specifically in those two books, like, okay, how to, you know, grow a business and then how to start thinking in terms of possibilities that you can profit from and really just kind of help people share my, like the way that I think. So then hopefully it can help other people. So that's really where it came from. I mean, just being very forward looking, looking at, you know, trends, asking those questions, like I mentioned earlier, where are things going to be a while from now? And I mean, I even talked about prior to all of this stuff happening with, you know, the thing that won't be named. I talked about how dropshipping, you know, people need to shift away from that model because, the risk of not being able to get your inventory in time. Mm. And I mean, everything in there was just right on time. Cause I mean, I'll go back and read it myself just to make sure that I'm on track and being mindful of these trends that are right on the horizon. Like like we're living in those times right now. So that's really my mindset as far as why I wrote the books and why I think hopefully people can benefit from them. So-
3: Yeah, I definitely picked
1: them up. I know I definitely haven't read Business Growth Secrets, but that's added to the short list for my read. now. I wanted to ask you, like with that book, in general, noticing through your journey, it seems like early on you had a real good grasp of like systems and automations in business. Can we speak more to like how new business owners can learn about systems and automations and like start getting those things laid out?
6: Yeah, I mean, I would say that In business, it's really just asking a lot of questions, right? Because when you're growing a business, regardless of whether you have like no time and no money or all the time and a lot of money, you still got to focus on the right things Mm -hmm. and have the right people and systems in place. And so being able to ask the right questions helps you create those systems. Like, what do I need to be focused on that's going to bring in some revenue and bring in people? like right now and months from now. And what can I do that maybe needs to be done by somebody else instead of me trying to spend all my time on doing that myself? Mm -hmm. And I mean, I have these conversations with people all the time as far as like to help me with my own business, as far as, okay, I have these pieces in place and they're all going well. What can I double down on, triple down on right now to? give me the best return as far as both for my time and my money to free up both more time and more money. And so, I mean, being able to step back and be like, okay, I need to remove myself from certain things. Mm -hmm. This is not what I want to focus on. I don't need to do this as far as, I don't have to do it all. Like I'd rather pay somebody to do it. If I can find somebody that's going to be, you know, better at it than me, they're trying to ramp up and trying to be an expert at it. Because in the long term, while I may have learned something, how much time is that costing me? Mm, mm. You know, people are experts. And at this point, because the world is so flat, labor is cheap. It's very inexpensive to hire somebody for a day. I mean, you could hire somebody for a day for less than it would cost to go out to eat at some places. And being able to hire somebody to work for you for an entire day is, that's valuable. Because that may accelerate, you know, whatever path you were on for Mm. weeks. and I, so, never, I mean, it's really just leveraging that that time and trying to really just getting out of your own way to get put experts in place. Mm.
3: I never looked at it like that either. And I, I just wanted to ask, like, what's your qualifications that you look for whenever you mm-hmm. want to go into a partnership with somebody? It would feel like, OK, this person is going to provide that value I'm looking for.
0: Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So, yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, but the bag did feel a little light.
6: I mean, I don't even really have a whole lot of qualifications, like because I mean, I hire people and I work with people a lot. Right. And so really, all I want to know is that you're going to actually do the work and that you can actually just do the work and like just do the work. I don't even care. Like, if you don't know this stuff and I have to teach you how to do something, like, if you're going to do the work, I'll pay you. Like, it doesn't even matter. Like, I don't care about, like, any type of credentials. I don't care if you've ever done it before. Like, if you could do the work better than somebody else who's been doing it for five years, like, you got the job. Or if I'm looking for a partner and I see that you're passionate about this particular topic, like, I'll bring you on. Like, I'll give you equity. Like, what do you want to own? Like, it's... Cause the thing is, is I know I can't do it all myself. Mm -hmm. So I'd rather work with people that can, you know, lighten my load. Cause me, I'm not trying to do everything. I know I got a limited amount of time, a limited amount of energy. I want to go for a walk every day and be outside a little bit. You know, I want to get enough sleep. I don't want to be stressed and I know where I want to put my focus Mm. and, you know, still spend time with like, you know, people in my life and friends and things like that. So you got to make decisions especially people that are working a job full time. Like, you know, you you're most likely going to be tired when you get home. You need to be looking right now to find people that are going to do the work for you because you know you're going to be tired and you can't give it six hours once you get home from working 10 hours on another job. If you want to be in business for, I mean, you can always invest and do other things, but specifically you want to be in business. You need to find experts as soon as possible. Mm. See me, I'm good at finding things because that's just like finding answers. Like I'll go and find answers and then go find an expert and ask them and then hire somebody to implement exactly what they told me. Mm. And so I just make my life easy that way. And I mean, same thing that other people can do, like find experts that can do it for you.
1: Mm-hmm. Like, it made me think about a quote I heard earlier today hiring decision makers instead of just direction takers, like people that can get advice and stuff for people who can really help you, not just you have to put all the brunt on yourself. And now you just micromanaging somebody and all that good stuff like that. Like no, you- I, don't,
6: I don't micromanage nobody. If I pay you to do a job or if I'm working with you and you're a partner, like I have enough. I design my business in such a way that I'm not really worried about one particular piece failing. You see what I'm saying? And so if that one person can't do a job that I hire them for, I have two people backed up to replace that person with, or if I don't like the way that they do it. And I may go back to them for another job as well. But I mean, I like to kind of to test things out. And as far as like partnerships and things like that, I mean, you definitely have to bring those people, you know, kind of vet those people really well, depending on the level of investment and in how intense the relationship is going to be as far as business is concerned, because you don't want to be left holding the bag and these people aren't going to do anything and they have equity. Some type of vesting is always good or some type of results up front. And based on that, those initial results can determine the level of the partnership or the joint venture, et cetera, that you guys go into.
1: So you said investing, like that's like a, for a little more explanation on it. Like vesting is like a period of time or is, like a, a trial period?
6: Well, yeah, it's pretty much that. And so essentially, instead of giving somebody uh, complete ownership up front in whatever joint venture you guys have, and you can have it for both of you where you like say two people go into a business relationship mm-hmm. and your agreement, you can have a statement where each person earns a certain amount of equity per month. Mm. But it's all only delivered at the end of that period. So then it can be a year, usually it's two years. And then at the end of that two years, they get that entire ownership. Mm. So then that way, nobody is getting that entire ownership up front. So then that venture takes off. They can't come back to you having done no work and be like, you owe me some money because I have equity in this venture.
3: Mm. Man, I never knew about that shit.
6: I mean, it's pretty much how a lot of like startups Structure there, you know, with venture capital and, you mm-hmm. know, when they're pulling, bringing on founders and stuff, how they structure things. Because otherwise, you get into a situation where you're a capitalization table that describes the ownership of all your shares. You end up having all these people that own shares in your company and they haven't done anything. Mm. And so this eliminates a lot of that because they, you know, a lot of the shares aren't fully vested until the end of that two or three year period, et cetera. And then usually if they leave the venture, they get nothing. So that's usually how they're structured. I mean, you can always compensate them. But I mean, you got to think about most business ventures in the beginning. It's it's all sweat equity if you don't have any money to pay them. So and that's the trade off. You could be, you know, you could buy in two years from now, you might have massive ownership in something that's worth zero or something. But you have to put the work in to get it. You got to put the work in to get it. So, I like that. Yeah. I like that.
3: That's that's hard. Gonna have so, to use that for the next company.
1: <laughs> so, Adrian, I have one more question for you with the technology company. What is the technology aspect of Escape? Like, what is that?
6: Growthopedia. Well, it's not. It's not mostly Growthopedia. Growthopedia is just an example of the technology that we do build. Okay. And most of the technology that we have is just in house products that we own whether it's like web apps websites and i would say that if it's anything because i mean i still buy websites uh, apps software etc improve them and just keep ownership or i sell them and so really that's the technology aspect we don't take on a lot of client work now i'm very particular about the projects that i do work on and that we do take on as a team mostly because I have a very large project that I know is going to take a lot of my time that I'm going to own. And so I want to be very focused on that. And then e-commerce takes a lot of time as well as far as dealing with, you know, inventory, uh, manufacturing, imports and exports of products to different countries. And so I'm just, you know, this year just really balancing my time to really ramp that up because it is really going very well uh recently started a relationship with Walmart. Hey. And so that's been going surprisingly well. So hey,
1: that's made of here, yeah, man. Got the infrastructure shit.
6: Yeah yeah. Yeah. So I mean if you guys want to get something on Walmart.com, I can definitely help with that. In the US and Canada. So they just invited me to join uh Walmart Canada. So yeah. It, I mean And and that's interesting to
3: think because a lot of people don't look at, but Walmart is basically a brick and mortar version of Amazon. And yeah. a lot of people don't realize like some of the things that happened in the background between Walmart and Amazon and what's currently happening. Like, just the whole war between them. Like,
6: it's. Oh, crazy. dude, I, if anybody knows about the war between Amazon and Walmart, they do not play nice together. <laughs> I can believe it. And just like.
3: Because you see Bezos, Bezos that yeah, were everybody. Hell yeah. Like, <laughs> you see Bezos though, like he has something, like even the purchasing of Whole Foods where he can get some of these stores and stuff, but Walmart already had the leg up.
2: Yeah.
6: They That's have the infrastructure. Yeah.
3: Mm-hmm. And it's crazy now that they're inviting people like on like that.
6: Yeah. I mean, Walmart is definitely coming at Amazon. And I'm not saying that, I don't want to jinx. All I'm going to say is that Walmart, if anybody can do it, Walmart is in a very great position. To put it in perspective, about 95% of the country lives within 10 miles of a Walmart. That's wild. Yep. That shipping- consider we got 300 million people. That's a lot of opportunity. And having worked with Amazon for a long time, and you know dealing with Walmart, I mean there's some kinks to be worked out. I mean they're very uh, hands on as far as their responsiveness, but Walmart definitely has the distribution structure in place and they're on point, like they're getting there. So, I mean, other than that, I mean, Shopify, they're trying to squeeze themselves in the middle and they're doing a really good job at it. Cause you know, they're going to be moving towards fulfillment as well. Oh really? So I mean, those are like my three, I guess not three, I guess four. So eBay, Amazon, Shopify, cause I'm a Shopify partner. And then uh, Walmart are like my, my mains in the U.S. And so, and they're, they're all trying to, you know, eat each other's lunches. So, and Shopify will come out with a, a fulfillment network. They've been building it in behind the scenes and that'll be interesting as well. So.
3: That will be hey, interesting. I didn't know that they was working on that either. Yeah. I'm glad we kind of touching on the e-commerce part though. Because can we just go a little bit deeper? Because I was listening to uh, Zay's podcast with B them uh, recently. And he was talking about like how right now is some of the best time to really get in the game. Even like just being ancillary services like to it. Because one of the things he mentioned is like it's abundance of commercial real estate. Like yeah. if you wanted to be some of the people helping out where you just rent out the space where they can fulfill and you can put people in there.
6: I'm tell you right now having shop for warehouse space is fierce out there. Like the amount that people are charging per square foot for warehouse space, places with docks, any type of temperature controlled warehouse space. I'm talking about, it could be literally rat infested. If it's close to an airport, a distribution center, and a major highway, (laughs) you better come with your checkbook. (laughs)
2: Mm.
6: Like, it's wild out there. I'll talk to Amazon a few times a week and they're making some wild moves right now. They're like in a lot of different places.
3: Yeah. They just broke ground back where we from too, on a new fulfillment center. So
6: listen, they building the second one in Charlotte right now, like they got a fulfillment center and then they have the distribution centers. And so every now and then I'll go by these places and talk to the workers and see, like, you know, what's going on. Like, I'll call up my account rep and be like, hey, what's happening? Like, what's on the horizon? Because remember I was talking about how how you stay ahead of where people are Mm -hmm. and be positioned to to be in the flow of money? (laughs) So, yeah, you got to get it. When you get out there on the ground, it's a lot different. And that's how you really stay ahead of other people, Mm. like,
3: Because I mean, there's
6: things that I'm working on now, nobody's never going to catch up. Like, because nobody's just not, they're just not thinking about it. (laughs) Because, I mean, granted, there may be a few people, but the opportunity in e-commerce is massive right now. And that's such an understatement. Because even if the world goes back to normal, e-commerce is not slowing down. It's Mm -hmm. not going nowhere. And what's going to happen is that traditional businesses are going to have to adapt.
2: Mm -hmm. And
6: anybody that's positioned to take advantage of that trend, whether it's via physical real estate or, you know, products and services that they offer, uh, skill sets, they're going to do great. Mm -hmm. So
3: are you doing FBA fulfilled by Amazon?
6: I'm doing everything on Amazon. Like there's nobody else that uses more products from Amazon. Like I got my AWS cloud practitioner, I publish books. I got vendor rights. I sell in multiple countries via FBA and FBM. Like I own brands, so I'm in the brand registry for, under a few different trademarks. Like there, I sell other people's stuff. Like there's nobody that's doing more on these platforms. I mean, there's probably other companies, but as far as I know, as far as using the entire stack of Amazon services, yeah.
3: Man, that's crazy. And I've been looking at the Bezos recently, and he always get mad. But every time some (laughs) news break, I just be like, man, I told y'all, Big Bezos, man, like he coming with that pressure.
6: And the thing is, and I compete with Amazon in a lot of their different businesses, and there are businesses that Amazon owns that people don't even know they own. Mm -hmm. And so I'm talking about, I'm on certain items that I sell. I'm competing with Amazon penny for penny. And like Amazon will come at you, and the thing is, is that when you get to a certain point, they realize that it's easier to partner with you or buy you than compete against you. Mm. And mm. so, but I so man. <laughs> 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 I he say it, man.
1: I but hey, that's but I'm glad you're speaking on this, my brother, because like people hear stuff like Amazon FBA and all these things, and they like. Oh, everybody talking about it. It must be oversaturated, but you somebody that's
3: doing this. And you saying you positioning yourself for the long haul. Because you taking full advantages of (laughs) their service.
6: Yeah. I'm going to tell you right now that anybody that says anything is oversaturated right now, they're not paying attention. Because, I mean, think about it this way. In the U.S., high speed Internet isn't even widely available. Nope. So, I mean, everybody can't be on the Internet yet. And spending on e commerce because these platforms are adding millions of people every month. Like, this the it, trends. It, it's, you just can't stop it. There's new e commerce sites being built all the time. Like, you know, major businesses are trying to find ways to improve their e commerce. Like, even if they're not using, you know, Amazon or one of the other major marketplaces, you know, they're looking to build their own platforms. You know, there's, a lot of different software suites that allow that to happen. You could build an entire six-figure income, probably almost up to a half a million dollar income as an individual just focused on Salesforce. And you know, Salesforce has their own e-commerce cloud and enterprise. Because I mean, we're still talking about retail level right now. Mm-hmm. And so I mean, then you got to remember that every single platform does business to business. Every single platform does enterprise sales. And when you start talking about business to business and enterprise, mm-hmm. you know, that average order volume is going up from like retail. You ideally want to see like a $50 average order value, but you start getting into B2B and enterprise. These people are placing orders in the ranges of thousands
2: mm-hmm. of
6: units in one hit and writing a check and wiring you the money the next day. Like, because governments buy on these platforms. You know, if they need some tissue, where are they going? They're not going to the store when they can just sit there and invoice it straight to Amazon or Walmart and get it delivered straight to them without leaving their desk. Why? Let's it's see, people, it is it saturated now? Nope. Nope. Exactly. <laughs> no. no. <laughs> exactly. It's an opportunity.
3: I also think that speaks to whenever people get upset, they'd be like, man, Bezos got too much money. He need to distribute it. They don't understand. This man's help while he's making billions. It's a lot of people who's coming up as millionaires off of using some of the services that Amazon's providing.
6: Man, I'm gonna tell you right now. If anybody's saying that, you don't even need to listen to them. You need to like (laughs) mute that profile. Repel, repel them from your life because these people have already decided that they want to be losers. Mm. And so you need to like attract people that realize that. $10 trillion was just printed in like the last 12 months. Mm -hmm. That's not no little bit of money. That's almost like 30% of all the money in existence was printed in the last year. That's opportunity. You know why? Because people have to spend it. Mm Because if they don't spend it, it's going to be inflated away. So they got to do something with it. Talk to them. Hey. Profit for
1: Possibilities. (laughs) <laughs> Adrian, I do have one more question for you, my brother. With you following trends. So what's somewhere like one resource somebody could use if they want to like observe maybe some large economic trends or different things that they could possibly
6: take advantage of? I say just and like people ask me this all the time, right? I'm gonna tell you what I don't do. I don't watch the news, I don't read a whole bunch of new books, I don't read a lot of new books, I read a lot of old books. But that's not where I get my trends from. I get out. I get out on the ground. Like, I'm on the ground. Like, I go mm-hmm. to, like, I go to Costco. I talk to the workers. I was like, so how many people you guys see in the average day? Oh, we at 2,600? Oh, that's a pretty good number, huh? It's like, how's that been during, the, the, during all of this lockdowns and stuff? It's like, more than normal? Oh, wow. That's wow. Like, that's a lot of volume. I go to Walmart and find out, hey, what's been moving? Like, you guys got a lot of things that's just been sitting. Like, what's not selling? Like, I'm on the ground, ground. Like, you know, I talk to people. Like, oh, you're a landscaper? It's like, you guys been seeing a lot of people moving. I go talk to some maids. I see some maids out. Like got a vacuum cleaner. I was like, oh, you guys specialize in any type of moving out or moving in? It's like, where are people moving? You know, talk to a realer. Like, what's the hot neighborhoods? Like, I talk to people. Because that's the type of information that you're not going to get really anywhere. And then especially if I'm traveling and stuff like that and on the road, like I'll go out for a drive on the weekend and see different areas, talk to people there, get a real feel for the economy. I did the same thing when I was running my asset management firm because certain things you're just not going to get. That's how I knew to get out of mortgages. Mm -hmm. Because I realized that while mortgage brokers and loan officers were pushing loans on people, the people were being like, you know, I just refinanced. so oh, I just refinanced. I was like, all oh, these people are just refinancing. We're trying to give out loans. Are we oversaturated? Like, mm, this is interesting. Let me uh, let me start really looking at this. It's so, like, oh, people, are, they, that don't seem legal. I'm like, that's what y'all are doing? I'm like, no, nah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> the My big God, short in real man. life, bro. That's, that's what Dude, made me think man. about that
1: scene in the big short. Uh, with Dude. Buddy, he went to the beach in Miami, and uh, he talked. Yeah, I got multiple
6: houses. I got multiple mortgages. That is exactly how it was because people were getting put on these pick-a-pay loans and couldn't afford to (laughs) pick-a-pay. And I'm just like, I can't afford to pick-a-pay. This don't look good. And I mean, this is, you got to remember, like I was like young. I'm just like, all my knowledge that came from being in university, cutting hair, running that little stuff. And I'm just like, yo, these numbers not adding up. (laughs) I'm just like, how long can this keep going? Cause I mean, I'm hearing it when I start hearing like, yeah, we all making money. And I'm just like, man, mm-hmm. this don't seem like something that everybody should be making money in. Like I Somebody can see it's all just the best salesman in the world. But <laughs> first of all, this product seems super risky. I'm just like, Oh, so on the back end they add to the principal. And I'm just like, man, I'm, that sound like a lot of money that they're going to be adding. What happened if interest rates go up? Because, I mean, even then, I'm just like, let me start researching, like, what happens to interest rates if they, what happens to the loans if the interest rate do go up like a point or two? I was like, oh, no, these people are not going to be able to afford this, you know, just running the mortgage. But, you know, I'm still a salesman, <laughs> but I'm just like, hey, I'm going to make some money on this deal. But, I mean, at the same time, I'm realizing that if this goes up at all, these people are not going to be able to afford this, like, even just one or two points, and, you know, Study, then I go back to my history and I'm just like, let me look at history. How much do rates normally go up if they do go up? And I'm like, oh, they go up like, you know, four or five points. It's like, I don't know. This (laughs)
2: seems
6: real real shaky. And the thing is, is that we're in this situation right now, right? But the difference is that while we have very low rates, not a lot of people have interest only mortgages. However, you got to keep in mind that a lot of banks. And people that have borrowed money, they may be on adjustable rate mortgages if you have any type of consumer loans. And those rates may go up. Mm. And so if you're trying to maybe a couple of years, I'm not going to say a couple of years from now, but if rates do go up, money is going to get more expensive. Right mm-hmm. now, and it's very cheap. And the price of money matters when there's $10 trillion out there. There's a lot of opportunity for that money to go into places where inflation can rise. And if inflation starts rising, they're going to have to raise rates to slow that. And if they start raising rates in the middle of what we're experiencing right now, it's going to get tough. Oh, think about commercial right now. How do you guys think commercial real estate is doing with everybody at home? Not great. Rough. And how much are those loans? (laughs) High. Real high. (laughs) Billions. Yeah, that's a lot of empty square footage. Shoot. So these are the trends that that's why I'm not getting a warehouse now. Mm. I'll wait till they collapse and get one for the cheap. Mm. <laughs> Five or pennies mm. on the dollar. <laughs> it's just, it's so smart. <laughs> I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait. Keep my cash in my pocket. You know why? Because people selling assets like crazy right now. Mm. Like, I bought something recently and I'm going to just run the numbers real quick on it. So I paid a quarter on the dollar for the assets of tax value, though, tax value. Mm
2: -hmm.
6: So I paid a quarter of tax value, not market value. And this deals like this all like, I'm not going to say everywhere, but I don't feel like there's a state that I couldn't go to and find at least one inside a week. Hold on. Hold on. You said tax value, tax value,
3: value, my nigga, not market value, tax
6: Tax value. So, and that's 2020 tax value at that. So the deals are out there. And I'm saying, like, you guys got to keep in mind that right now there are massive trends going on. I mean, baby boomers retiring, right? You know, millennials earning more money, zoomers starting to earn more money, generation Z. You have a lot of people out of work. You have a lot of people who may have had assets, but may be older. You know, they want to cash out and go to Florida Mm -hmm. like everybody else. So, I mean, it's a lot of different trends that you can take advantage of and possibly all at once. So...
0: Who needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cutoff? Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Mm. All about your mindset with it, like you said.
1: Can't be positioning
3: around yourself, man.
1: Can't be around them people thinking that you can't. Get yeah, miss the opportunity, man.
6: It. Yeah. Man, it's so much opportunity. It's so much opportunity out here that once you realize how much it is, it's gonna be a problem deciding which one you want to try to take advantage of because you don't have the time and attention and enough people to really take advantage. Mm-hmm. That's why I can give this away, and none of y'all ain't touching nothing I got. You see what I'm saying? Because you can still get it, and our money won't even be within a continent of each other. Cause it's just so much.
3: I like that, man. That's that abundance mindset though. Man,
1: hey. If anything, I like to say is I appreciate you, my
3: brother. Hell Definitely. Yeah, man. I, gotta I, Mo, bro. I gotta tap in. I gotta tap in more, bro. Whenever you're tweeting that shit, I'm gonna be hey man. I'm about to turn <laughs> the post notifications <laughs> on. <I sure> am.
2: <laughs> <laughs> gotta
4: keep reading them emails too, my brother. Hell yeah. yeah. I want to try doing that, like what he said, as far as the market research, like getting your actual market research from the market, going to talk to people at Walmart, what's flying off the shelves, like yeah. what, what's really moving.
6: What are people buying? Like, what are you guys? So let me let me tell you something about retail, right? So retail is designed in such a way where a lot of the things that they really want to get moving, they put them on the end caps of the store at the end of the aisles, because it's either two reasons why those products are there, either because... They got too much inventory and they want to get rid of it or the brand wants to really market that product. However, if you see it on the end cap and it's marked down, they're trying to get rid of it. And so that lets you know uh, what's not moving. And then at the same time, think seasonality as far as products that, you know, people move towards based on the different seasons.
3: Valentine's Day.
6: Valentine's Day. I mean, one thing is that every single year is always a big mover in retail calendars, planners, like fitness thing every single year, probably for the rest of your life. And so there's a lot of things that like even those little micro trends that you don't have to take advantage of all of them, but just being aware of them. Say you do decide that you want to get into maybe retail arbitrage or flipping products or something like that or you want to start providing the service to people to help with something e-commerce or business related, like knowing that these trends exist uh, puts you in a better position to take advantage of them. So,
3: And one of the things I saw at Walmart that was interesting my brother, I was in Walmart like two weeks ago and I saw a lot of workers and they had blue baskets and they just picking off the shelves, putting this in mm-hmm. this blue basket. I had to stop one of them. I was like, man, what are y'all doing? She's like, oh, we're just online shopping. I was like, damn, so this is what you're, this is, and that clicked in my head. I'm like, damn, all of these people, people not coming in the stores no more. These workers are doing all of the work and putting it, She's like, man, we got express uh, delivery. We got an hour delivery. We got where we could put it in the little thing. We'll walk it out to your car. I was like, damn, this is how it's really moving. Mm-hmm. And like, mm-hmm. that's some of the things that you're saying though, like paying attention to those trends. Yeah.
6: And every single store has Target, has it. Like mm-hmm. Walmart has it. Kmart's still around. They have it. Lowe's, Home Depot. They have it. Like, no, this people really have like no idea. Like, numbers wise, Amazon.com gets 200 million unique visitors a month. That's insane. Like,
1: the population of the United States is 300 million people, like you just said,
6: 200 million every month. Like that's just .com. That don't include .co.uk, .ca, like .jp. Amazon's in thirty different countries. Like that's just one marketplace. Like there's so many different ways. So many different ways that you can just make money. I mean, you can get find people on the ground, and all you do is find you or do research, or you become friends with the manager and be like, hey. Hey, how you doing? So uh, tell me how things going, you know, in your store. Like, what are you seeing? Like, how's the shopping traffic being? Like, this is where I get my research from. I don't like research because I'm just out here living life. I'm not going out of my way to do none of this. I'm just like, oh, well, you know, sometimes I don't like going to Walmart because it's busy. But I go in the mornings before everybody wake up. Like I'll get up, you know, most Walmarts open at seven o'clock. I do the same thing at the grocery store. I go and ask the manager, like, because I know he's going to be in in the morning. He's going to be walking around checking things to make sure everything's lined up before the day starts. I mean, you could do this a lot of different places. You could do this in restaurants too. You know, okay, you see a chili, so let me stop in Chili's, sit down at the bar, grab a beer. It's like, the manager here, let me like let me speak to him for a bit. You know, find out how's your traffic being. Do that in a few areas, and you know, okay, economically, how's that area doing? okay, the people ain't spending money in Chili's. That means they ain't got no money. That means they probably going to be foreclosing on their house. Mm. I don't have to wait until people foreclose. <laughs> you, you can, know, you can do that. I'm you not even in can. real estate, but, but this is how I think. If I'm going down the highway and I see this is a small town that's run down and I'm like, oh, this town got a whole lot of land. It's like, hmm, drop a pen, And if I see something that I like, I can go and look up a parcel in an area that I think like, oh, this may be good for industrial. I mean, you could probably build like a whole warehouse right here. It's right off the highway. Little opportunities like that. And people's I like, man, it. I've been trying to get rid of this for years. It's like, oh, word, man. Sorry to hear that. Like, yeah, we could definitely work something out. <laughs> it's like, I don't pay retail price for nothing. We got a city that is the jailer just city.
1: Our city, I bet this. Man, there's I mean, so much opportunity
6: you. where we from, <laughs> yeah. man. Man, y'all can you could own New Orleans, like Louisiana, like you can own it. <laughs> like right now, it's probably not a place that you couldn't own. You know why? Because people don't see it. It's like most people are just going about their daily lives and not really thinking about, you know, where is there an opportunity for me to find something that has economic value and make something of that? Or I'm in this job now, you know. Why don't I just send my resume to a recruiter to see if they can find me something better? And you just never know. Like you just never know. Like I mean, let me actually let me tell you how I got the job at the patent office, right? And so this is like I was going to sell this, but I feel like a lot of people don't have no job right now. So but the way that I got the job at the patent office is because I decided that it was a job that I really wanted.
2: Mm-hmm.
6: And so I didn't want to compete against anybody for the position but I knew it would be hard for me to get it because I didn't know, I didn't know nobody at the patent office or anything. And so I told me and my boys, it was four of us. Yeah. Four of us. It's like, yo, let's apply for the patent office. This is what we're going to do. We got our resumes together and we put them in a manila envelope and sent them directly to the managers in the departments that we wanted to work for. Mm. And so We all got interviews and we all got the job. And I mean, people out here, you know, email and, you know, phone calls. Like, nah, like, if you want it, just go get it. Like, you literally got to go out here and get it. And you got to take it from somebody else before they take it from you. Because if you just leave it up to chance, very few opportunities are just going to fall in your lap. If it's a company that you want to work for, Google, you know, where that company is, mail them a resume to the CEO. Like, that's going to cost you $7 or the founder or manager, like somebody that makes a decision. You know, that's not going to be anything hard to do, or even like your recruiter, because what's going to happen is that the recruiter is going to tell a manager that he did this, and then that's going to put you in a better position than anybody else. Like, I mean, it's so they gonna know you different... by first name. Yeah, they're gonna remember you. They're not gonna forget you. You're not just gonna be like because this is how most, you know, job searches work. You send off your resume, it gets thrown into some engine looking for certain keywords because mm-hmm. people think that because some keyword is in there, that means you better qualify for the position. If you don't have the right keywords in your resume, you don't even get considered. But you don't have to go through all of that. You can be like, okay, this person may have you know, a much better piece of paper, but this man's mailed me his resume and nobody else did that. And worst come to worst, they're going to remember you. Even if you don't get the job, you're going to at least get a phone call. Like, I mean, and then when I was going to sell this idea, I was like, I will guarantee you at least get a phone call. But I mean, y'all go out there and get this money. There's enough people out there. I already know nobody else is going to do this. So I don't have to worry about a bunch of people sending off a bunch of letters. Because they're going to be like, oh, man, I got to get a stamp. I ain't got no printer. They gonna, It's like, I got to go outside and it's cold. People don't know? go to the post office. Man, if I told you that you may be able to double your triple your income, would you go outside and go get a $0.55 cent stamp? I sure like, but people don't think like mm-hmm. that because they're lazy. And that's how you put yourself in a position to take advantage of these opportunities.
1: Hey, that was real game right there, my brother. I never would have ever considered it. Like, because everybody, fine.
6: you think you got to go through the hiring channels. But, like, you, you don't said- have to. Listen, that's for everybody else. If you want to be different, you got to be different. Ooh. Like. Message. God. This- it's like, I don't. You, thinking that you got to go through the same steps that everybody else goes through makes you no know better than them. Ooh. Once you hmm. realize that you can make the rules and operate and live life according to how you want the world to operate, all the doors open to you. Because then you get to do exactly what you want to do. And the world will make room for you to do that without it offending or hurting anybody else because there's enough out here for it to do that. That's how I started my asset management company because I wasn't going to ask nobody because I realized I didn't have to thing is is nobody can tell you no if you don't ask nobody for permission mm. so you I'm just keep going
2: boss.
6: you just keep going that's it like nobody can tell me no you can't start a publishing company you know why because i didn't ask nobody i gave myself permission to do that and then i just did it
3: damn hey man that's when you control your destiny you take it in and you're just like i'm gonna do
6: this shit man. i mean that's literally how it is though like Once you really, really realize that and internalize it, you will, you'll be unstoppable because then you will, you will truly believe that there is nothing that you can't accomplish when you put your mind, your time, your energy, your resources, and your network towards it. Hmm. Like, because when you think about that, there's, there's not even a lot of things in this world that other men have done that you probably couldn't do. And so where you start setting the bar, it's trying to do things that no man has done before. And when you set the bar there, then you start operating at a higher level. You see what I'm saying?
3: But a lot of people are too scared to do that.
6: Thing is, is the worst thing that can happen is death, and that's easy. Hmm. He ain't living think about nothing. No more. Living is hard. Living is hard. Like living, being successful, being happy—that's hard. Death is easy because all you got to do is lay down and do nothing.
2: Hmm.
6: Like. It's
3: a lot of people that's walking dead right now there. think it is,
6: and they're fine with that. But you don't have to be one of them people. That's the choice that we have every day, is to truly live. And when you start operating, like truly operating in that abundance mentality, like the world literally, it opens up to you because it's an energetic thing, right? And so because you're operating in abundance mentality and believing truly and, and acting on Everything being possible for you and for those around you, everything starts being attracted to that and making way for that because nothing else, everything else realizes that it can't stop you because mm. you're going to keep going anyway.
3: Hey, hey man, if you ain't learned nothing from this episode. Psh- Shame you, on you. you.
1: If you ain't learned nothing from my brother, you listening to the wrong podcast. That's yeah, all man, I, I want say. y'all to
3: stop listening. Like, don't listen no more.
4: <laughs> go back and re-listen again. No, nah, that's I'm what I want
3: you to do. No, go no, you can't listen You need no to listen, more.
4: listen again.
3: You can't listen <laughs> no more, damn it. I lied. Some of this stuff might have went over your head, so listen <laughs> no, again. No, you got to go back, back Yeah. <laughs> but, man, I want to say thank you so much, Adrian, and I want to move into the last segment, my brother. What's on your timeline? What is something that you made of red, something that you didn't been on the ground, you didn't saw? What's what's something that's going on in your world?
6: Give us the Kennedy report. I like that. What do you mean, like, what's on my timeline? Like, just, like, what's... So it could be something that's funny,
3: something sad, something that you feel like people need to open their eyes to, something that made you angry. Like, I know the stuff happened with Robin Hood this week, anything like that.
6: As far as what's on my timeline... I would say overall, right now, people need to really do everything that they can to make sure that they're in a good place economically and socially, as far as their network is concerned, because these are literally historic times. Like, there's probably not a lot of time periods in human history where there's so much opportunity to succeed, even though others may be trying to prevent you from succeeding, you need to understand that the people are trying to prevent you from succeeding because they realize that their time has come and that they have to give way to people that want to take advantage of these new opportunities.
2: Mm-hmm.
6: And so there's really a divide between the 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 old way of doing things and a new way of doing things. And a lot of people are still stuck on that old way. However, the opportunity is in the gap between the two and really, like I said, positioning yourself to be literally where culture is going and Mm -hmm. where economic and social influence, growth and happiness and everything is going because- economically the US and the Western world can't really support the old way because it takes so much money and resources to even maintain it. And so, I mean, even you think about like the amount of infrastructure and roads and bridges and everything in the US and the amount of money that it takes to keep up those things. However, there's not enough money going towards those things Whether on purpose or due to ignorance or for whatever you're using, it doesn't matter. Those details don't matter. What matters is that there's going to be a shift Mm -hmm. in positioning yourself where if a bridge collapses, it's not going to affect you, essentially. Like you want to create such a bubble with your skill set, with your network, with economically and financially, and for your family, community, and your network where you're as insulated as possible within that community and that bubble that you've built to anything that may happen due to this old system. You don't want to be really reliant on that. Because, I mean, we saw what happened when businesses shut down. And that was people that were stuck in that old way. Business that would say, hey, we don't we need a website. You know, you can't work from home. Mm-hmm. And then they were forced. You don't want to be forced to go somewhere where you where people are fighting to get you to go in that direction. You want to position yourself beforehand, because if you position yourself beforehand for these future possibilities, then by the time that that time arrives, you've been making money and finding happiness and success the entire time.
3: Mm.
6: Hey, man. Jim, Once
1: man. again, perspective,
3: my brother. Hey, I appreciate you Ooh, so really? much for everything that you shared on this podcast, my brother. Appreciate right, Thank you, man.
6: It's always good to get these things, you know, out. They live in notebooks and other conversations, but it's good to share these things with people.
1: Amen. Amen. Like, again, once again, like my brother said, appreciate it, because
3: yeah, you opened up my mind to a lot of things that I was thinking about. Thanks. Even like See opportunities that? right now, like bro, like even websites. I might just go start talking to random businesses. That's Do you I have a website? I keep about my head, and I'ma just outsource building their
6: websites. Listen. I'm going to tell you right now, (laughs) there's money in it (laughs) because I've gotten some of the money in it. So, I mean, it's definitely possible. Like, there's so many different things that you can do just to help businesses. I mean, and there's so many different places where you can help, you know, people improve their situations and they will pay you for it. So,
3: Amen. I love it. Well, my brother, can you please share where people can keep up with you? Uh if they want to learn more some of your uh your websites, if they want to possibly work with you on some things and go buy, anything,
2: and buy anything,
4: your like
6: books. <laughs> <laughs> and so yeah, um a com. that's a o-v-e-r k dot com. That's my main website for my personal brand. And I have an email list where I share different subjects, mostly about business growth I on go. that. And Escape publishing. Uh, Really, if you contact me via my email list or on Twitter at A over K on Twitter, then that'll be the best way to reach out to me. Send me a message or something, and that'll be the best way to contact me. If you're looking to get your book published or, you know, some type of technology, I mean, I'm not going to say some type of technology because we're not really bringing on people for that right now, but. Mm -hmm. If you're looking to get your book published or if you have a physical product that you're looking to get into more channels, learn about Amazon or eBay, Walmart, we could definitely.
3: I actually might have somebody I can refer to you, my brother. She's trying to get some products into a store. So I'll talk to you about that after this. Mm.
1: Yeah. I need you to also mention Growthopedia, my brother. I need.
6: Oh, yeah. Growthopedia. Yeah. Growthopedia has a lot of articles on there and resources for people that want to grow a business. There's a hosting company that I own as well. If you need a website or web domain, you can, you know, the support team is there 24-7 if you need help with that. I buy all my domains from myself. So, I mean, I definitely like that. And yeah, growthopedia.com for, you know, entrepreneurs and uh, people that want to get into business. Hey, hey, I love it, man.
3: Appreciate you for spending the, your Saturday afternoon with us. My brother dropping these gems.
1: Yeah, I think you could be <laughs> a resource to the community. Once again, my brother just...
3: Hell yeah. yeah. But we'll get into some house cleaning before we get up out of here. So once again, y'all, thank y'all for coming in, listening to another great episode with us. Man, we just some normal guys having conversations and trying to provide some value. So if you are a new listener, appreciate you for stopping by. We hope that you're going to keep on rocking with us. And please spread the message. Mm -hmm. Let whoever you know that you feel like needs to hear some of these things, let them know. And if this is your first time listening, go through the catalog. I promise it's rich. We got a lot, a lot of stuff talking. Like We cover a lot of topics, but it's all centered around just building generational wealth and ways that you can win. So y'all definitely definitely tap into that. And if you have been with us, we appreciate you for being a part of our family.
1: And I have to go ahead and plug our book Manage Your money like the 1%. You see it here. My brother Adrian also has it in the back, published by Escape Publishing available. We in Barnes and Noble. We on Amazon. We everywhere, man. That's why I said y'all gotta get with this brother. Yeah. This man. brother's amazing. <laughs> but uh yeah, y'all, y'all get that. Link gonna be in the show notes. Huh. And as always, everybody, we love y'all and appreciate y'all. This is David on behalf of Black Wolf Renaissance signing out.
5: I got money on my mind. I'm just trying to get some dough. I ain't picking up my life unless money on the phone. Got to get it on the daily. All I want is dubs. You know what I'm on. I've been chasing after paper. All I know is run. Money marathon.
0: Hey there. Ever thought about what makes your heart beat a little faster?